Hey ladies, welcome to WTF, Women Talking Frankly, a running conversation with your hosts, Kyle and Candace. And you, about issues facing women, such as health, hormones, our looks, our libido, life, and anything in between. We promise to dig deep and get into it each episode. Welcome. We're so glad you joined us today. Welcome back to Women Talking Frankly, a podcast where we promise to dig deep and talk about the issues of the day and talk about hormones and women of all ages. And today we're calling our episode the YWWTF episode, YW standing for Younger Women or Young Woman. We have here a special young woman guest who is actually Kyle's daughter, Julia, what's your middle name? Maureen. Julia Maureen McAvoy (laughs) is our guest because as we promised you all, um, every age of woman has a, a different situation with their hormones and, and suffer from different symptoms of hormonal imbalances. And the big shock is when you start the menarche, that <laughs> menstrual cycle, when you're about 12, 13 years old, it all happens. And women who are young don't often know what is happening to them. Why are they having so many symptoms, heavy periods and PMS and crying all the time and And then there's birth control, and there's so many questions that revolve around what younger women go through. So we're not talking about menopause as much today, but we're going to be talking, and we're not talking as much about perimenopause. We're talking about premenopause, women in their 20s and 30s. So Julia, welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me, Candace and Mom. Thanks for having Julia. (laughs) This started because we actually had a conversation last week about, and you were asking us different questions. We (laughs) were just hanging out, remember, and Julia started asking us questions about hard questions like about (laughs) adrenals and PMS, and we Uh said, you should come on our WTF show and and ask those questions for you and your and your friends. Speak yeah. for the women your age. And interestingly enough, as Julia's mom, I mean, Julia would be the first to tell you that she knows probably a lot more than a lot of young girls, as Candace's daughter do as well, because it had us as a sounding board. But <laughs> there's questions that she hasn't asked me, and there's questions that come up in many of my patients' lives and some of the women that you know Candace gets to talk to on the phone. So we know there's a lot of unanswered questions Candace and I both were lucky. We had that book, Our Women's Our, 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 Our Bodies Ourselves. Our Bodies Ourselves. And it was a great the Bible. Yeah. It was, it was awesome. And it's, you know, it's, I think it's no longer in print, but I don't think it's something that women go to anymore. I think our most information mm. that women get these days, I would say, is online, through their friends. Would you say so, Julia? On mostly TV. online. Oh, absolutely. Online, but mostly through friends and what their mom has told them. Really? Or what they've heard. Yeah, absolutely. I think growing up, even talking about periods or what kind of birth control am I on or what kind should we get or, you know, you always talk to your friends that way in confidence and... Did you talk to your mom about that? Of course, I talked aunt? to my mom about it. Yeah, your she... mom being a nurse <laughs> practitioner. Yes, my mom and my friend. Um, you know, I felt really safe going to her and talking about that. Um, and not everyone has that. Um, so I was actually being able to be the one to my friends to give them more of sound advice because I talked mm. to my mom about it. Mm. So... So you've been putting questions from your friends to your mom for quite a while. And still, yeah, I still go back to her and say, my friend, you know, we were talking about this. Uh I didn't know much about it. What do you think? What do you think they should do? Mm -hmm. Or is this um, birth control going to make them gain weight? They're kind of worried about it. You know, just anything like that. So, And just think about, you know, all the topics that we've gone over in the few episodes that we've now recorded is that women 
older women have the same issue. You know, you ask your friend, and your friend may have good information, they may not. And so suddenly you have this information that's all over the and all over the board. So who do you go to? I mean, you want to ask the experts. You want to ask people who have sound experience and knowledge. We've both done a lot of reading. We both have, you know, seen a lot of people over the years. And worked with other practitioners yeah, and, and, and we, patients and to we, learn, learn, learn from learn, the learn, lived learn. experience. I mean, we both, yeah. between the three of us, two, two, two of us, excuse me, we have, I have over 30 years of experience in women's yeah. health, and Candace has umpteen years as well. So we've mm-hmm. had a lot of people ask the same questions. So Julia had some really fun questions for us about just, you know, some of the, the, the more common issues facing young women. Mm-hmm. Older women have very different issues than young women do. They share, a lot of them overlap, but younger women are more concerned with fertility. Mm-hmm. Conscious Men- conception, that's a big topic, yeah. Yeah, yeah. preventing having a baby, mm-hmm. you know, maintaining their own health and wellness as a young woman. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even being aware of, like they say, youth is wasted on the young kind of being aware of how you, she, Julia's watched me get older. How do I age gracefully? How do I age well, even as a young woman, looking forward? If I may pop in here, she said something, Julia said something interesting before that. <laughs> I said, so what was it like when, you're, when you were just getting your period and your mom was going into menopause? And she said, I don't remember my mom having any symptoms of menopause except hot flashes. Uh-huh. Right. That's right. So we we deduce that because you're such a smarty pants and know so much about hormones and how to balance them that you didn't have very many symptoms. Well, she didn't see them. Remember, <laughs> I had menopause. We had famous PMS. Well, I had, uh, Julia came. You know, I was, I was 39 when Julia mm-hmm. came into our lives, so she was only eight years old when I hit menopause. So she was quite young. Yeah. And by the time she was aware of anything going on, I was already you had it under control. Was under control. Well, yeah. uh, you know, it, as we know, the first few years can be rocky, but definitely under control. So I wasn't a raving lunatic like I <laughs> could have been. <laughs> but I can tell you as raising a young daughter, um, I could tell when Julia, and I, I had the same issue, I could tell when Julia was PMSing and I would say things to her like, what? you're um, PMSing. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm really not. And she goes, Mom, you just don't know. <laughs> you just don't know. Goes, That's, like, yes, classic. A few days later, she goes, well, it kind of was, you know. And so, Sorry. And, and we've all, all three of us here at this table today, yeah. we all know what that feels like. Yeah. And I actually had a, a young woman say to me the other day something like, I just want to feel like myself again. I just don't know what happens to me when I get hormonal. I can't stop it. I can't control it. And all of us have felt that rage, yeah. that insecurity, that sadness, that you know, up and down emotions, and you can't control it, and you can't do anything. It's like it's it's like an an alien invades your body for a few days, and then yeah, it goes away. Thank and God. and I was just asking you based on one of your questions about get feeling hormonal, how that uh-huh. how that translates, and I think you said really irritable, nasty, and sad, yeah. and you put all these weird feelings together yeah. in the, yeah. in that picture in that bucket and it's awful yeah. nobody knows how to deal with you all the bad extremes but the, but the questions we want to answer mm-hmm. today for you and other women your age really are coming from a, the consensus because we've done our homework and we've done our work your mom and I for over you know all these years 30 mm-hmm. years and my daughters too I have two daughters and you know I've been through all kinds of things with them weight gain and um, PMSing and um, horrible mood swings, not getting their periods, and mm-hmm. and kind of shepherding them through this for many years. Um, one of my daughters didn't get her period for three years after being on birth control, mm-hmm. and just got it back. 
Wow. So, uh, or maybe it was two years, but you know, had to, so, so there's, but, but also not to recommend that we always get our advice from our friends or our mothers, because so many people mm-hmm. say, well, my mom had that my mom went into early menopause or my mom had a hysterectomy or my mom had this, you aren't your mom either. Mm-hmm. You know, we are not our mothers. We are a different set of biology and chemistry and we have different, and it doesn't have to be so. It doesn't have to be and to that jump, way. And to jump in here, sometimes I do ask people when they come to see me, how old was your mother? History, yeah. there is a history of premature ovarian failure of young women, women, a lot of women who do go through menopause early, their daughters will as well. But like Candace says, it, it can be somewhat predictive, but it's not always predictive. Right. We live in a different world. We have different nutrition. And different, different awareness stresses. now. Yeah, totally so. So Julia, you had a bunch of questions yeah. that you came in with to give us, shoot. Okay, perfect. So and from you and your friends. Yeah, yeah. so what yeah. I did was, in preparing for this, I wrote down a lot of the questions that I think about on a daily basis in terms of birth control, hormones, anything like that. And I reached out to um, a few of my friends. And uh, some of them, we shared a lot of the same ones, but um, they added mm-hmm. some really good questions as well. So I think one of the ones I found most interesting, and I've heard this from my friends, and I've definitely asked myself this question, was, do women need to take a break from hormonal birth control every once in a while or um, however so to let their body go back to normal? Hmm. Is that something that's It's important? a great question. I mean, I think there's been a real evolution in women's health care over the years. I think when women were first given the opportunity to go on birth control pills, they were so strong and so difficult. Very and, potent. Very potent. And women had horrible, horrible symptoms. And I think that... Um, those women definitely needed a break because it was too much. As you know, yeah. as, as as time went on, like back in the '90s and early 2000s, we've seen a much lower, a much lower dose of birth control pills. Mm-hmm. So, we've been talking about this a lot amongst ourselves. Some women are so hormonal that they actually feel better on birth control pills because it controls their mood swings. But my take on it is, I think all women deserve a break and should be off of pills or hormonal birth control for a while to go, you know, our bodies have a natural rhythm. If we're constantly suppressing them with exogenous or outside hormones, we don't really know who we are. You know, back in the days of Native Americans, there was that great book, The Red Tent. You know, there was a real acknowledgement that a woman's cycle had value and, and the woman would support one another. We don't do that anymore. So I think Many women are leaning back towards that again. A, a there are red tent groups yeah, cropping right, up. Exactly. Yeah. And the red tent, if anybody's never read it, it's, about, it's a book about the women of the tribe would all, when you were on your menstrual cycle, you would go to the red tent and other women would take care of mm-hmm. your children and your chores. You were actually able to rest and And, and, and be reflect. in a sacred space. Sort yeah, of. and yeah. we don't allow that anymore. So, no. and so I do if think... If we ever did. Well, I do think mm-hmm. that that's, there's a value to that. So in my opinion, and it's an only an opinion... And it's an, also an observation based on many years of practice. I do think women deserve a break. Do they need a break? I think they deserve a break. It's a good way to I, put it. I think it biologically our bodies are trying to constantly cycle. And then we can't have any, you know, I think a lot of us, we cycle with the moon. We cycle mm-hmm. with, you know, other, other women, that thing called, I don't know if anybody, some of you have heard that, the word, the dormitory effect. The woman goes yes. off to college. And the nunnery on, effect, yeah. And no one's on hormonal birth control. The dominant alpha female will sort of dominate. Isn't and, that amazing? And, and women yeah. will follow along and become in her cycle. You can't do that if you're on hormonal birth mm. control. So I think, again, I think women deserve 
at least some time, and there's a movement back towards natural family planning again. Yeah, there trying is. your own cycle. So that's my take on it. How about you, Candace? What do you think? Um, I totally agree with you, and taking it from another point of view, if you're using, as 52% of women on birth control are using birth control not for contraceptive reasons, that's a good time to take a break. Mm-hmm, I agree. Um, because, uh, you know, and some women are sexually active for a while and they're not. There's mm-hmm. a big space that they're not being sexually active, but they stay on the contraception because they also were taking it for mood swings and PMS and or they were put on it originally for that reason, for acne mm-hmm. or different problems. And they're afraid to come off. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, as you just said, Kyle, we're suppressing the normal symptoms you know, system, the body systems, we're shutting ovulation down. And Mm -hmm. when we do that, we're shutting down natural ovarian hormone production. And so I think if there's a, if there's a, if there are better alternatives, if there are good alternatives, there are some alternatives, not very many, but family planning, as you mentioned, is getting very popular with a lot of gals in their thirties that I talk to that are thinking about getting Mm -hmm. pregnant. And there is that itch. That's another time to take a break. If you're in that space, you just, a lot of gals I talk to are engaged or they just got married and they're thinking about it. It might even be two years away, but they, they're thinking, you know, by now in my thirties, I was put on birth control when I was 15. I've been on it for 15 years now. Now's the, and I'm thinking about what will I get my period back? And indeed some women don't get their period back for a good 12 months or more sometimes, depending on the stress levels in their life and their diet, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So Anytime you can take a break is good for the brain, good for the body, I think, if, especially if you're not sexually active. Yeah, I agree. And I think that um, we, I think it's important now just to kind of talk about the, some of the pluses and minuses of hormonal birth control. You know, I see a lot of women, myself included, when I was younger, I had horrible, horrible, heavy cramps and, cramps and heavy periods. I mean, it was awful, but I didn't have the availability of hormonal birth control back then. But those women actually can do quite well on the birth control. They can mm-hmm. actually improve their cycles, improve their functioning, allow them to play sports and do those things. However, again, and then there's other women who, who never, have a, never have regular cycles and they get put on birth control pill and that can be a band-aid and they cannot know that they may have some underlying yeah. conditions like polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is a, a metabolic problem. That you so don't I, want to ignore and have it remain hidden for too long. But, but back yeah. in my day, we all ignored it. We were told yeah. to just ignore it as new nurse practitioners, ignore it, put them on the birth control pill. So I think there's a real value for some women on th- that for hormonal birth control. Plus, if you take it right and you do it correctly, you're not going to get an unplanned pregnancy, which is a very difficult thing to yeah. face. So I think there's a positive. So... But getting back to you, Julia, a break is a good idea, I think. But yeah, I mean, absolutely. And and to, to pivot just a bit, if someone takes a break from birth control and is worried about mm-hmm. symptoms returning like acne, et cetera, that's a good time to test your hormones. Yes, Get is. a true baseline level. Find mm-hmm. out, are you low in certain hormones, high in androgens like testosterone that will cause breakouts? And you get a handle on that by balancing hormones naturally. That's what... You and I do all day, Kyle. So there is the benefit of being on the pill to help with some of those things. But on the other hand, there are things that can, that are natural that can help you when you're off. And maybe the reason you went on was a hormone imbalance that you can address through natural means. So it's it's a big conversation. I I think it has to do with a level of maturity too. There's young, young girls like in high school, 
often not mature enough to do natural family planning, they're going to get pregnant. That's the biggest risk for them. Right. Is really protecting their bodies from getting an unplanned pregnancy, an STD, mm-hmm. what have you, and all the things that have to, we have to do to help prevent that. But women get in your age, Julia, and I'm a little bit older, you're much more mature, you're in a stable relationship, you're in a stable job. Yeah. You can stop, take a pause, and you can say, okay, I'm gonna t- now I'm going to get off the hormonal birth control. I am going to test my hormones or just see where they are. And like you said, Candace, support them mm. if you have some imbalances. My, my follow-up question to that is if you're going to take a break, um, first of all, how, if I want to go off, but I want to go back on birth control eventually and I just want to take a little break, how long does it take for those hormones to kind of get out of my system or how long does it take for birth control to stop working or things to go back to normal? Um, so a hormone, if you have a hormonal IUD, as soon as the IUD leaves your body, your body, your body can bounce back. Now, how quickly it bounces back completely, we don't know, but about 40% of women who have a hormonal IUD don't ovulate. The rest of the people do. Those who don't ovulate, the thing that a hormonal IUD does is it thins the lining of the endometrium or the lining of the uterus, so it's less likely to have implantation. There's a bunch of different ways the IUD works. So you... I always tell people it takes a little while for that IUD, the lining, to build back up again. And if you're trying to get pregnant right after you get the IUD, I always say to them, I would recommend having, you'll get your your IUD out, wait to have a normal period, perhaps one, perhaps two, get on some prenatal vitamins, support your Mm -hmm. body, give your body the best possible baseline before you get pregnant. Don't just try to get pregnant right away because you'll have a thin lining. You may have a risk of miscarriage. Absolutely, you won't have yeah. good dates for, for the, the obstetrician. Mm-hmm. So, But birth control pills are a whole different ballgame. Average woman takes about three months to resume yeah. ovulation. No longer than nine months should, is normal. A- after nine months, I begin to do hormonal testing. And again, you know, you, uh, your, your cycles may take a while. I wouldn't test somebody's hormones until she was at least six to eight weeks off the birth control pill. Yeah, I was going to say that's an important, yeah. a lot of that people ask that all the time. Yeah, you, uh, too soon. Otherwise, you're, you know, you, it may even be too soon to do that, but some people don't have time. So I'll say, you know, it may not be the optimal time, but it's better than I will never test anybody's hormones on the birth control pill. Okay. It's really just a waste of time. So when you ask that question, are you asking it because you want to know how long the birth control effects are still in place, yeah. how long you're safe? Or are you also thinking how long before your body rebalances and can make its own hormones? Are you thinking both? I was thinking both, but yeah. also how long does it take to rebuild or get back on my own cycle mm-hmm. and uh, rebuild those hormones that are... Average woman, three yeah. months for the birth control pill. And okay. like what Candace's daughter went through may have been a, a multiple things that were going I, I would be concerned if somebody didn't get the period within two years. That, that, was, that was extraordinary for her, but, I, but she was a vegan. I was going to say she probably lost and a lot there, of in that, And let's not get mad at us for saying that, but there are vegans who, people who practice pure veganism and may not, you know, I talk to a lot of them that say their go-to is often carbs and they don't get the right combo of proteins. It's exactly. it's not easy no. to eat a really purely plant-based diet and get enough protein in there. Mm-hmm. You've got to really know your stuff about quinoa and chia seeds and mm-hmm. how, you know, what are the grains that are full of protein and how do you combine things? And so that is huge because if you don't have the fats and the protein in particular, that the ovaries require mm-hmm. um, to to provide optimize your fertility. Um, there's a great book. I always mention it. It's called Woman Code by Alyssa Vitti, and she chapter seven, ladies, is uh, for you young 
women who we're talking to today. Chapter seven, if you're wanting to optimize your fertility, talks about your cycles, the, the, the different phases of your cycle, what to eat, the foods, you know, et cetera. Yeah. So there's a lot, there's a lot there that can help you become balanced probably quicker. That's a great question though, Julia. Yeah, absolutely. And you've got a lot more great questions. So ask one from one of your friends that you talked to. Sure. Actually, so one of my friends um, brought this up to me the other day, uh, but she was deciding kind of what birth control she wanted to go to. She had been on the pill previously, and that didn't really work for her. Um, And being an an adult woman, she was just wondering kind of if certain birth controls affect sex drive or libido. Um. My experience in talking to women that are on the birth control when we talk, um, some of them test while they're on birth control, which is not the most ideal because you're not getting a true baseline. But a lot of women want to test just to see what their hormones look like under the influence Mm -hmm. of birth control and then to say, well, maybe that's why my libido is so low because Mm -hmm. there are a lot of women that have that problem. I mean, that's my experience that Mm -hmm. that goes with seems to go with the territory. Well, what What's happens, your experience? Yeah, when, you ha- when you're on birth control pill, what it does is uh, so you have a, a, a protein in your body called a sex hormone binding globulin, and that goes up yeah. when you're on birth control pill. Oral birth control and, in particular. And, yeah. uh, and depo and any other thing, and it binds up the testosterone. So that will impact mm-hmm. your libido. It also inhibits your progesterone being released. So progesterone is a huge libido booster. And so people don't realize that. So yeah. when you, and you're, you're not producing progesterone because you're, you're not, well, you're on the birth control pill, a very low percentage of women can actually ovulate, but most of them don't. And like I said before, about, about 40% will ovulate with a hormonal IUD. And so they will have lower testosterone levels. They have low, almost non-existent progesterone levels but some women are not impacted as much as others. You know, some mm. women really notice the difference. I mean, they just have no libido. <laughs> and they have multiple side effects. You know, like you were saying, like, Julia, you, you knew you were very moody on the birth control pill. Mm-hmm. I know most women, many women are on the NuvaRing. It's, mm-hmm. it's not a one-size-fits-all. There's mm-hmm. so many things. Never that, is. But there are certain birth control pills that are a little less offensive. So there's many different types of progestins. There's at least five different types of progestins with synthetic progesterones available in birth control pills. And don't confuse the two. Progesterone is not the same Proge- as progestin. It's synthetic. It's uh, a synthetic progesterone. So that, those progestins can vary in how much androgens they have in those progestins. So certain kinds of pill, like a, a norethindrone acetate, is a certain progestin. It's a common it, one. It doesn't seem to suppress it as much. Okay. So... And there's other ones that are more dominant in, you know, in, mm. uh, in suppressing the androgens, and those people are really flat. So that's what I would say. Yeah, and that's why I think a lot of women switch from one type of birth control to the other. Because mm-hmm. like you were saying earlier, we were talking, and you mm-hmm. said you finally found, is it this form of birth control you said th- that you finally feeling better yeah. mood-wise? And yeah, yeah. So you've had to go through how many iterations of birth control? I think I went through two. I was on the pill and the NuvaRing is when I was younger. And then as I got older, I got the IUD. And that mm-hmm. changed everything that I thought birth control could mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm. But I've also heard from other people that that didn't work for them. It and keep, they felt yep. like how I was on the pill, you know, but they found mm-hmm. solace in the pill. So I, I think it's just a trial and error thing, unfortunately. But but it, you bring up a great point. With the, IUD, with the hormonal IUD, it's the hormones in that IUD are supposed to act only locally 
by thinning the lining of the uterus. But what we've seen over many, many years of clinical observation and experience is that there are women who are extremely sensitive to hormones in their body and they actually see a change in like, they'll get hirsutism, you know, extra hair, Acne is a big one. They get mm. horrible, painful acne. Mm. They'll get low libido. A few of them get mood changes, and some even get weight gain. So there, as there are definitely a sensitivity, and the only way you know if it's truly that IUD that's causing the problem is take it out. Yeah. Take it out. Symptoms resolve. Guess what? Who's the culprit? So you have. But I always, when I counsel women before they go on a method, I tell them, the norm is this, but there are the exceptions. So just pay attention. It's not in your head. Yeah. So if, so say I was on a birth control that everything was working for me, felt great, hormones felt balanced, I felt amazing, but my libido was just the thing that's off. Is there anything I can do? Great Any question. kind of patch or something, other thing I can do to bring that back, even though I'm happy with this? I suppose you could take testosterone, but we haven't really tried that. I mean, I suppose theoretically you could, but then, and I don't know if that, I don't think that would affect the actual uh, mechanism of the birth control pill, but there's always that risk. You know, we always worry: yeah. is there going to be a change? We don't. So usually, there's nothing out there I think that, that I would, I, is well, proven to work. No, no. Okay. I think though, interestingly, with birth control, because your horm- your endogenous or naturally made hormone levels are low, a lot of gals are low in estrogen and they're low in testosterone. So conceivably, you could you could try DHEA, DHEA is that most abundant hormone in the body that actually mm-hmm. breaks down. It it converts first to testosterone, and then to estrogen. That I suggest that with some women, um, especially women in their forties who are going into perimenopause, don't want it, they don't need to be on estrogen or anything. But there's natural things that you know you have to look at your life. Like you're, if you've got a lot of stress, I mm-hmm. talked to a gal yesterday whose husband is a basketball coach, and they move every single year, and she's now got wow. two toddlers, and she had postpartum depression, and she's struggling, yeah. you know. And and so um, you know it. She but she wasn't using anything to help her any natural stuff like you know, be complex or magnesium to sleep. If you're not sleeping, you don't have much of a libido. Mm-hmm. If you're stressed all the time, you are going to be depleting certain minerals and vitamins in your body. So B complex becomes so important as well. And then there are these lovely herbs that supposedly raise libido like maca. Ashwagandha. Ashwagandha maca powder. Um, you know, these are the adaptogens mm-hmm. that are herbs that help the adrenals adapt to stressors. And if adrenal performance if your adrenals are down i.e you're tired all the time or you're tired and wired or you've got sugar cravings or you get sick all the time you might suspect you've got some adrenal issues that are a result of stress over time so then it becomes a lifestyle issue do we turn off do we know how to relax do we turn off the the laptop at night do we get enough you know of the things we need that our body needs anyway Mm -hmm. but i would say to julia's question she was saying that she was on the birth control pill and that's different than being off the pill and, and trying to re- increase your libido. So I think the question I is, think you can use all those things, though, while you can, you're on the pill. I think you can. Yeah, yes, that's yes. what I meant. I yeah. mean, these are well, lifestyle pill, changes. On the pill, on IUD, on any sort but, of birth but, control? But, yeah. But I mean, but I manage mean, stress, you're, you're manage your diet. And your stress hasn't changed at all, and it's just the pill that's causing low libido. I think that's a different question. So I think that's where we have to sort that out. Like if somebody comes to me and says, I went on the, I was great, my libido was great, my stress level hasn't changed, I went on the birth control pill, my libido's gone. That's a different question to, in my mind as a clinician. Mm-hmm. So then I might say to her, let's try a different pill. Well, let's think about maybe a hormonal IUD 
or maybe even the copper IUD that has no hormones. Mm-hmm. It just depends on her baseline. If she has heavy, crampy periods to begin with, there's no way that she should get that birth, that, that kind of IUD. So I think I'd have to, in my mind as a clinician, I'd have to fat, tease those two things out. Well, I guess in, because I don't prescribe, right. I, my mindset as a health educator has to be towards what can you do while you're on the pill if your libido is, is down and we know it's because your hormones have been affected. What can you do naturally yeah. to boost? Like we know that weight training, strength training, increasing lean muscle will naturally boost testosterone. Even so, if on the birth control pill, you think? Well, I, okay, I guess I'm hesitating. I don't know if there's a mechanism that would interfere with that. But it's a naturally occurring increase. It's kind of like we're working the muscles, mm-hmm. sim, you know, signal to the brain, hey, she's working the muscles. She needs some testosterone to keep making that happen. I don't know if it can happen, though, when you when you were binding it up with a sex hormone binding globin. I don't happened. think it's all bound up. No, it's we not all look into that, but, but it's a to, percentage. Yeah, yeah, you'd have to test. I think, yeah. I think, I think, I guess my approach is because I have to come from the natural. It's like, what right. can you do on the other side of this? Right. Mm-hmm. If you still want to stay on the pill and you're worried about your libido, what are all the things you can do? Sure. To try, you know, try it. I mean, a lot of this is a work in progress, certainly, because we don't have great choices, do we, for birth control? So in answer, I would say, but some women, I would say there are some women who can be on any birth control method and they do just fine. Mm -hmm. And there are some women who can be on none. Every birth control method has failed them. And they have to go back to a natural family planning type mm-hmm. of thing because it's it's sad, but they may have a history of like blood clots. They may have this, you know, all kinds of issues are factored mm-hmm. in here. Each woman is on her own biochemical experiment, and so yeah, and that's so, true. So I, I I have to have had to deal with this. I used to work at Planned Parenthood. I mean, I've seen young women all, for years and years and years. And you try every kind of method and every kind of and there are so many choices. When I first started out. There was probably maybe 10 or 12 different choices of birth control pills. I don't even remember half the names now. There's so many. Oh, and still today there are so many. But when I was at CRT Labs and working with the, you know, biochemists and different doctors, there was that question always came up. What can you use when you're on Mm -hmm. birth control to improve things like libido and mood? And Mm -hmm. what would come up always would say, how about project? Can we use some progesterone? I know. Nobody can and answer the, it. can, it's, it's a, the yeah. jury is out, but the yeah. consensus seemed to be that you could use a lesser amount of progesterone just to help relieve symptoms. And some women do that. They right. use but while like they're on the birth control. So now it's, oh, it's natural a cream, oh, natural okay. progesterone made from usually wild yam. So it's, it's not technically natural because it has to be synthesized in a lab, but mm. it's synthesized to be exact structure and function so key in lock it fits to, in the target tissues of the body and it's an it's a progesterone but you're using half the dose that you would if you weren't on birth control and that appears to be possibly you'd have to talk ladies talk to your doctor yeah. see yeah. what they think but it has helped women relieve symptoms and um in lesser amounts it's not necessarily going to Im- impact a, you know increase your chances of pregnancy yeah that is the, that is the million that's dollar the big question, question. It, uh, and uh, all, all the years of, of my work i've never been able to any it's tricky you don't want to be the person to say well to tell you go ahead and use progesterone and, let, and then you get pregnant well I mean, a lot was, less though a lot less like, like but, Pinprick. But I think that, um, I, like what Candace was saying, I, a lot of people do, if they have mood swings mm-hmm. on the birth control pill, 
things like adrenal support, um, herbs, and vitamin B6 is Absolutely. wonderful. Absolutely. And you can take things like chaste berry and things. So there's things like that. that can nat- you can also naturally use an adaptogen. Like I, I probably would go that route before I gave somebody progesterone. I'd probably have them take yeah. chaste berry or Vitex, Vitex, which would boost their progesterone a little bit on their own. That's a great suggestion. You know, so A nice herb that's natural completely. Wait, so if I was listening to this and I wanted to go get it somewhere, what, where would I go find that? Well, you can find them at, at, at a grocery store. Like we have, well, let's say here in in the Northwest, we have places like, you know, New Seasons. We have Whole Foods, and most yeah. most, most big cities have uh-huh. natural food grocery stores. We have Pharmaca. We have uh, you know vitamin shops. You okay. all, what our recommendation is: you always want to get the highest quality, made in the USA, organic, you know, gluten free, all, all all of you know vegan, blah blah blah. You want to get the best quality. Uh, supplements that you can get don't you think is yeah and it's also there's a varying dose with vitex chase berries yeah. i've heard up to a thousand milligrams some oh, people use 500 and some herbalists talk about higher doses so you want to talk to your mm-hmm. practitioner or an herbalist whoever you're working with um but um the common dosages are in the, the health food stores yeah in, okay. in, in several different and in our show notes today we will list some of the supplements mm. that we recommend for sure mm-hmm. um okay. yeah and the doses that are yeah. safe what safe. else okay. what else there daughter <laughs> yeah uh, so switch away from birth control um i just wanted to talk about some things that a lot of young women and a lot of my friends and even i've you know dealt with as as a young woman um it's just kind of more about like yeast infections and um, um, what's the other one called? Bacterial vaginosis. Yes. Yeah. So um, I, yeah. let's let nurse practitioner address <laughs> that. Okay. So basically, um, when women come to see me as a, a client, you know, they usually come in with a certain litany of symptoms. Uh, I have a vaginal discharge. They may have an odor, they may have irritation, they may have pain with urination. Mm-hmm. So I usually do what's called a symptom analysis. I ask them what the color of the discharge is, what does it smell like, you know, does it hurt when you start to urinate, does it start when you're ending your urination. And then I get a bunch of, I gather data. And then I often do a culture. I used to do slides, you know, we look at under the actual look under the slide and the computer mm. and we diagnose this called hyphae, it's the yeast. Or we can actually do a little thing where you put a little bit of, uh, potassium hydroxide, I'm thinking back now, um, <laughs> on the slide and actually releases this horrible smell. It's called a positive whiff test. It smells like a positive, a positive whiff. whiff. Positive whiff <laughs> test. And it smells just like cat food. It's like fish. And so Ooh. and women will come with a fishy odor. So yeast will have more of a sweet odor. They'll oftentimes have sort of white clumpy discharge or they'll have a clear discharge. It's itchy. It's burny. Yeah. And a, a BV will be more of a like, I have a, I often have this symptom after I have intercourse. Mm-hmm. It smells fishy. I have sometimes I have almost like the symptoms of a bladder infection, but not quite. So the diagnostic uh, tools that we use are either a slide under the microscope or we have things, something called a true swab. Mm-hmm. We actually send it to the lab, it diagnoses. And then the treatment is for yeast infection, you use an antifungal. And for bacterial vaginosis, you use something like what's called the metronidazole. Now, why is that an antibiotic of it's some an, sort? It's an anti fung. It's not a fungus. Mm-hmm. Metronidazole. So, bacterial vaginosis is not a true fungus, and it's not mm-hmm. a true bacteria. So, it's a bacteria. So, it's an mm-hmm. antibacterial in a sense. But why people get them? Mm-hmm. So, yeast infections are often caused by um, warmth. Uh, eating too much sugar, drinking too much alcohol. Too much sugar, really? Yeah, because your pH and your well, you have sugar. 
you you think about when you make bread. What do you need to make bread? You yeast, need warm. Sugar. You need yeast, and you mm. need sugar. So mm. the same thing. The yeast. On, we all have huh. yeast on our bodies all the time. Mm-hmm. Depend. And when we're under a lot of stress, the actual colonies of yeast numbers can go up, and that that so they sort of take over the bacterial count. And then the yeast sort of grows like crazy. It causes the redness, the irritation. Oh, my gosh. Women who work out a lot, wear tight like we're clothing. We often tell people to wear like cotton or no underwear when they're home. You know, bathe frequently, trying to dry with a hair dryer, whatever. To, it's moisture. It's moisture. It's it's warmth. It's yeah. You're giving it a place it worse. to grow and yeah. live. And interestingly, there have been, there is some thought around excess estrogen as an estrogen dominance being related yes. to yeast infections because what does estrogen do? It thickens the lining of the endometrium, creating oh. this nice, cushy, yeah. blood-rich, warm place yeah. where yeah. yeast can thrive. So since so many younger women, not just women in menopause who aren't ovulating anymore, obviously, they're done, but younger women who haven't been ovulating for years because mm-hmm. of birth control or aren't picked up back on it d- tend to maybe they're estrogen dominant. That can and, be. And I just want to make a clarification. I don't think yeast grows in the endometrium, but it actually grows on the outside in the, in the vagina itself. Right. So that when you have this yeast, it's colonizing. Like they'll say, it's uh, but it travels. It travels. I mean, well, so, it lives in the vagina. And yeah. So, um, it, so things that can help prevent it. You know, women who get frequent yeast infections. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll put them on an oral, what's called diflucan or fluconazole. That will kill the yeast usually with one dose. And there's other things you can do, like topical things that are antifungal. How well does yogurt work? Yogurt, the, the yogurt eh, not story. so much. <laughs> but I would say that boric acid, so boric acid, people think, oh, my God, it's acid. It's actually a granule that you take uh, mm. uh, and you put it in, or powder, excuse me, and they put it into little gel caps and you insert one vaginally. That actually lowers the pH of the vagina and it helps the yeast. Huh. It helps kill. Imagine if you added like acid to yeast, it kind of kills it. Same thing with bacterial vaginosis. Many people ask me, is it an STI? Is it something that yeah. I get sexually? Most of the times, no. It's not, it's not considered mm-hmm. an STI. It's an overgrowth of what we call the bad bacteria mm-hmm. in, in conjunction with the good. And it gives this funky odor, funky mm-hmm. smell. There's this funky kind of feeling to a thin, almost a homogenous discharge. It's pretty classic. And so you often treat them with that metronidazole. That's something I was going to ask, too, because I think that needs to be debunked. I get asked, like, I hear people ask that all the time, is, an ST, is, it, is a yeast infection an STI? Um, and I think that is really commonly talked about amongst women and men. Yeah. Men tend to think well, that yeast infections are an STI. Well, so. at- I would answer that. I would and say, then they oh. get paranoid and, and then they run get away. Yeah. yeah. Men, because if you tell a man you have a yeast infection, they go, Oh, who'd you get that from? Yeah. Oh, yeah. How did you get that? So, but it, they don't understand that as That's a natural important thing information that can to clear happen. up. Well, yeah, most exactly. men in our culture are, circumc- are circumcised, and those who are not can actually carry some yeast on the mm-hmm. shaft of the penis and cover it up by the foreskin, but in general, no. So, in bacterial vaginosis, the reason people think it's an STI is it often happens after you have intercourse. If you have intercourse without a condom, the semen has a higher pH, and it can raise the pH of the vagina, and it helps the bacteria to grow. So that's where it happens. But if people keep having them over and over again, I will sometimes then have the partner treated just to see if I can 
stop the transmission of that bacteria, but it's not an STD. It's mm -hmm. just bacteria that gets transmitted, but it's not true STD like chlamydia right. or gonorrhea. Okay. Are we saying STI these days? Yes. It's, it's been STI it, now. It, STI is now. A so it's the disease, disease word changed to infection. Yeah, that's that's a, more prop that's appropriate. Yeah. yeah. I think okay. that happened a couple years ago, but... Yeah, I was but wondering, am I... Uh, so that's <laughs> a great question, Julie, and I think a lot of women think that, and a lot of people think that. I think that's a really good question. And so... With and the, good information to clear, make clear. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And so with a UTI, then... Which is a urinary tract, tract infection. infection. Why do people so get why do people get those? Kind of being someone who doesn't know much about this kind of stuff. How is that different than a yeast infection, or it, is it kind of so similar your urinary, anyway? Or? So your vagina is one area where everybody. That's where you have your bacterial vaginosis discharge and your yeast discharge. A urinary tract infection starts with your urethra, which is at okay. the top of your vagina. Mm -hmm. And when people, for, there's an expression that Candace and I know doesn't apply so much anymore. It was called honeymoon cystitis. Uh -huh. Many women were virgins oh. when they first got married many years ago, and then they never had sex <laughs> before, before the pill. <laughs> yeah. So then they had sex, and they had sex more a bunch of times possibly in a row, and that caused oh. inflammation of the vagina, mm -hmm. and there's bacteria there that lives between what's called, it's called your perineum, it's between your mm -hmm. anus mm -hmm. and your vagina, and that perineal area, imagine it has, like, it's colonized by bacteria that lives near your rectum. Yeah. That bacteria again gets driven up towards the urethra, and because of the oh. trauma on that urethra with, with uh, intercourse, causes that to be, imagine having a cut on your hand, it's, it's more likely to get bacteria once you open up the area. So you get these oh. little micro cuts, and then the bacteria climbs up to the urethra, boom. Crazy. And in relation to that, that's why one of the early prevention um, uh, treatments is wipe from front, front, to, back. To, back. front to back. That's why. Because and get, and that, that, that very bacteria you're talking about that lives right there. And void before you have an of course. And void and get after. Up after you have an of course. So mm -hmm. then are some people more yes. prone to UTIs than other people? Or I know, you know. Especially women who have a short, smaller vagina. That, oh. and it depends on how the urethra is sitting in. Sometimes more, women have more protective urethras are up inside more. It really depends on what they look like. Everybody's and, different. And everybody's <laughs> different. And I think if you have a larger partner, that can be a, a factor, more frequent insects, you know, rougher sex, all those wow. things can contribute to more. Whatever happened to, uh, wh what is the word? I can't think of when people would, <laughs> you know, <laughs> when you would have a, um, you would rinse. I mean, it's oh, short of bidets. We don't have... I heard that bidets are coming back they and are becoming kind of more in popular. Light of, in light of COVID. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So I want about, one. But people are worried about toilet paper. Yeah, that's yeah right. exactly. That's I, I wonder if there are fewer one. UTIs in places like France where really bidets are used. I think so. I mean, well, maybe less bad, maybe less Even after you have a bowel movement. You know, and you could actually wash everything off instead of just wiping yeah. it, you know I mean? Well, that yeah. would be an idea. But what is the word that I'm thinking of oh. where women would rinse them, you know? Douching. Douching. Whatever happened um, to douching? Douching was shown yeah. not to be helpful. I mean, I don't know about you. you it's being used to describe people now do you remember? instead of to describe a <laughs> procedure. <laughs> do you remember when we were growing up, there was FDS. It was feminine deodorant spray. Oh Every God. woman has a natural odor, right? So you became, as a young girl, you become very self-conscious. You'd put yeah. that in and spray there. Talk about getting a yeast infection. No, that chemicals. That exactly. actually brings up another question. You know, there's all of these products, and maybe not so much anymore. I think this might be more around when I was 13, 14. This was more of a fad, maybe. But there's a lot of scented feminine products. Don't Still? Use them. 
Yes. Or were then. Or... Were then, or it's... Um... Yeah, don't use them. They're yeah. really terrible for you. They just... Ch- well, think about your body. When we're talking about, we were talking about our hormones before and getting off the pill and yeah. giving our body a chance to regulate itself. It's really important that our bodies can regulate themselves. In general, we yeah. wouldn't douche our nose. That's what I tell people. You know, I mean, we don't, we don't, unless you have like that, the, the, the neti pot. In general, people don't do that. You don't, your vagina can clean itself. It has its own flora fauna yeah, that so needs to restore normal, normal its microbiome. Yeah. Douching is not regulated, not recommended for most things. Occasionally people do douching. There's very, very limited uses for it. What mm. about any sort of um, wipes? Maybe something even that's unscented. I mean, are those? I think the more time you put chemicals in your body, the more likely you'll okay. have a reaction. Better just let even it go. some of those like scented panty liners they had out yeah. for years. People get you know you can come in and they say I have and I have these symptoms. I would just look at their vagina and you can just see the redness where the liner was. Mm. So I think less is better. Okay, that's <laughs> good. To you know, know, I had some notes about I wanted to talk about this at some point, but there are some natural cotton tam- non-toxic tampons dioxin oh. in them yes yeah. without and so i've got a few names here at cora women at lola at honest at here we flow <laughs> yeah so there are several different brands we can put that in our show notes yeah. as well great there's also another link to utis which has become pretty common in older women who have a thinning of the lining of the endometrium that's a, total, that's a different oh. story linked to hormone imbalances low estrogen, right. low estrogen. Oh. but young women in general it's going to be related to frequency of intercourse um maybe not voiding as frequently as they should holding your urine those are things you you know it's like a bladder hygiene type of thing. What about low estrogen, though, in women who are on birth control? Back to that. I, I mean, think that, that is happen. still, that's one of the reasons. I do see I, that sometimes. Yeah. I do see that. But I, I see, see the that same, too. I don't see it as dramatic yeah. as I do in older women, but mm-hmm. I definitely see it in some young women. Mm-hmm. Or people who are anorectic, you know, low body fat, runners, you know, long people who cycle. The other thing you can get it from yeast infections is like people who do like competitive cycling mm-hmm. or runners. They... The constant friction there, it's, you know, there's a lot going on. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Do, there's a, a whole new, I don't know that it's new, but a, a branch of physical therapy called pelvic floor therapy. And I think we were going to talk about that or have someone on to talk about it sometime. But I yeah. think that may be a kind of therapy that can help women with recurrent UTIs. Because yes. sometimes they become recurrent and, you know, the bane of somebody's existence. Yeah. So. that uh, You're not there yet. <laughs> And hopefully never will be. What else have you got for us? Yes, tell us. Um, So this is kind of one for someone maybe who's not on birth control or because, you know, you've said you you prefer not to test hormones when someone is on them. But how would someone know or how would even I know if I have a hormone imbalance as a young person? Um, I think the biggest... The big, the best answer to that is know the symptoms of hormone imbalance because okay. they are, they can be, they masquerade as all the things we call um, stress. You know, different aspects of stress. They are, they're being stressed. They're being, it's being moody. It's having heavy, painful periods. It's having mood swings. It's having vaginal dryness. It's um, Bloating. Bloating, water retention, irregular cycles, Mm -hmm. um, any of those things, if they're chronic, persistent, troublesome, Mm -hmm. um, really bad PMS, headaches, headaches, migraines, um, getting sick often, not getting out, bouncing back, which can be related, you know, adrenal stuff. So all of those things, I think the hallmark symptoms are really the heavy, painful periods, PMS, sore breasts, 
Mm -hmm. um, and then many of the other things we talked about. But, you know, how many people have I helped anyway through testing and just natural rebalancing that can now go to work without having to leave because their periods are so horrible yeah. exactly. that they're not curled up in a fetal ball because their cramps are so bad mm. or, you know, are being kinder to their children now because they rebalance. So the, you know, the kind of irritability that we were talking about before and the mix of, you know, Jekyll Hyde and feeling sad and then all these physical symptoms don't, they, they are like, could I have a hormone imbalance? May well. So I think it starts there. Know the symptoms. Yeah, and I would add some of the more common ones like anxiety and depression, anxiety. mood swings, insomnia, uh, weight, cyclical weight gain. I think, I think, especially in the belly. Yeah, there are definitely people who have um, long-term mental health issues mm -hmm. like anxiety and depression mm -hmm. that are baseline to them, and then they get exacerbated by yeah. having a hormone imbalance. But somebody who doesn't have those issues as severely will often have fluctuation in uh -huh. your symptoms. They're not, they're not constantly present, but sometimes, what can sneak, what, and we, Candace and I see this all the time, is that you feel okay for a while, and then some lifetime stress comes in mm. you, and suddenly you have a new Knocks normal, you down. And you don't realize how bad you feel until mm. how good you feel. Yeah. And so that's a big thing. But we'll list the, the symptoms of hormone imbalance, and if you think you have a hormone imbalance, get tested. Mm -hmm. The younger we can test young women or all women, yeah. the better it looks us for the future when we're testing you in your 30s and 40s when you hit the perimenopause and beyond, then we know what your baseline was because everybody's baseline is different. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so it would be nice to have that baseline before we get that later, that later look into your hormone balance. Mm -hmm. But but the key is there if there is an awareness about these things and not, well, my mom always had heavy periods right. or... You know, my always harking back to someone in my family had breast cancer or, you know, I'm just going to have an early menopause different. And some of that may be true, but but you got to stop and say, OK, how long have I been having heavy periods and what other symptoms do I have and what can I try to do right now to change, turn that around? I don't think it has to be a permanent situation by any means when we're balancing hormones. Mm -hmm. No, it's, it's always going to be in flux and, you'll, and life will throw curveballs at you every now and you'll be great and all of a sudden something happens and you're like get knocked off your, your game and you can't be consistent with your good habits you know mm -hmm. that the whole thing goes down you don't start eating as well right. you're drinking more coffee mm -hmm. not getting you know that's where it really it's it's yeah. all of a piece it's mm -hmm. more than one thing mm -hmm. yeah well and i know because i'm sure everyone's been here but you know you're having kind of a day and you're irritable and you feel angry and sad <laughs> like you're talking <laughs> and you're having all these emotions and yeah I know my first reaction isn't, oh, I have a hormone imbalance no. or I might have a hormone imbalance or something's off in me. It's right. more, no, this is how I feel and this is yeah. who I am and this is, you know, when you're, maybe you're fighting with your boyfriend or your mom or your whatever it is and you're like, I'm right, I'm right, this is how I feel. And then days later, maybe you have a period or, you know, something, maybe that goes away and you realize, oh, I think I, think I was having a hormone episode. Well, what, when you said this moment. is how I am, so many, you know, you just said, Kyle, it's not in your head. But so many women do become their symptoms. I mean, yes. this yeah. goes on for years and years and years. We're talking to a 45-year-old woman who's, a, who's five years away from menopause, and she's suffered with these things all her reproductive years. Yeah. Not necessary. I yeah. mean, really, we have to take the odd, you know, that would be the smallest percentage because most women could find relief. And, mm -hmm. and it starts with knowing the symptoms, getting tested. And we're really, with the testing, we're detecting Oh. We're detecting a hidden hormone imbalance that is sabotaging your best efforts to feel good or yeah. to lose weight or to 
have zest for life or Mm -hmm. the enthusiasm for the things you used to love to do. You know, it's amazing how women just get really into this place. How many women have you talked to, Kyle, that say, I'm on an antidepressant, but I'm not depressed. Right. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why I'm on this antidepressant. I was having mood swings and I was, you know, I had really bad postpartum. Like the gal I talked to yesterday, she's been on Prozac for years and she doesn't want to be on Prozac anymore. Right. You know, but I was going to, your, to your point, I was going to say that, um, Sometimes women don't even know how bad they feel. Right. Yeah. And, which and how much better, better they could feel. So I, and, re, and recently I had a gal, I think she was 53 years old. She hit menopause. She said, I feel great. I have no symptoms. I said, well, I, let's get a DEXA scan. So we did a bone density test on her. And it turns out she has pretty severe osteopenia bordering, bordering on osteoporosis. Yeah. So I said to her, you know, I do think we should probably check your hormones. She goes, no, I feel great. But she decided she came back and said, I think we should. We tested them. I treated her. She came back to see me two months later. She goes, I cannot believe how different I feel. Yeah. She had no idea that mm-hmm. she had slid into a new place. Yeah. And it was such an interesting That's thing. An so important I, point. So I think it's very common for somebody your age to be, if you can stay more aware of your body's fluctuations yeah. and get a heads up on and get, you know, get on, get onto it now with the nutrition that you need. And I know you eat well and exercise is so I can't tell you how much exercise helps people's hormone imbalance. But not over-exercising. But not over, but, but, <laughs> That's but the, you know what I'm saying, walking, doing Pilates, yeah. yoga, don't being excessive about it, but again. No spinning walk. five days a week. No, find your balance or doing that, you know, crazy I, CrossFit that people do and they, and they just go, they go at it. Not that I don't like it. It's go just, high and go low, high intensity, low intensity, Balance right? it, balance it, yeah. balance I, it. I feel like, you know, as a young woman, you know, get your period at 12, 13, and then you kind of deal with that transition of hormone stuff. When you get like 18, 19, you're on to this different chapter and you totally forget about, or at least for me, I, you totally forget about hormones and that they're still affecting you. You still think that they're affecting you the way that they were yeah. when you were 15 mm-hmm. or 13, whatever it was. And I think now that I'm in my late 20s, I'm starting to think to myself, Oh, my body is, my body's constantly changing, even though yeah. I still, I still connect more with my 13 year old self who just had her period. So it's like, <laughs> and I think your body changes about every seven years. I think I've heard that before that and then um, that's it's kind of an estimate, but, but every seven years, you think about when you're 12, well, 13, every, all of our, all lives, every yeah, cells exchange, I always give you the example, you know, how you find this amazing shampoo and conditioner, and you're like, this is it. And like a couple years later, you're like, no, it doesn't work anymore. You know? <laughs> and so I think our bodies change. We age, we mature. You know, different things happen to us. So I think we can't say we're, that we're going to be static. Static yeah. is not who we are. And I think that's the most important thing that, for me that I've gotten out of this today is pay attention to your body because especially at 20 and older, I think that is where we really need to start listening and 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 know that you know that hormones are not just what's in your birth control pill (laughs) right right right. you know i think because i get the feeling from talking to people that until they get to the place that you're kind of describing the transition you went through from 13 to 18 (laughs) and now in your 20s and and you get in a serious relationship and then it's suddenly wow my body is changing what's making that those hormones actually rule you know they govern our physical emotional mental lives right throughout reproduct throughout our reproductive lives so yeah having having good respect for them and knowing that it's not just what's in the pill yeah well this has been great julia is there anything else that's pressing or you feel like we've covered most of your questions do we today? need a part two someday <laughs> yeah i mean eventually we'd love to have um, you come back no i think that's all i have for today Thank you for answering all my questions. Well, thank you for, for my answering all my friends' questions too. Thank you so much for coming today. This has been a fun. Thank it's been you, a fun Julia. Event. And I just want to say in closing that um, 
You know, at WTF, we just want to take a minute to acknowledge that there's a lot of unrest in our country right now. It seems like each week brings more pain and more suffering. And on top of dealing with the sadness and restrictions that we all have had with the pandemic, we're now faced with the social injustices facing people of, of, of color in our country. And in the words of the great Martin Luther King, he said, the ultimate measure of a man or woman in our case is not where he or she stands in moments of convenience and comfort, but when where he stands or she stands at times of challenge and controversy. Mm -hmm. So let us at WTF and all of us, our listeners, be up to the task of standing up and supporting justice of people of all colors. Amen. Amen. Well, here we are at the end of this WTF Woman Talking Frankly podcast episode. In signing off, we want you to remember that what you are feeling is not all in your head. And that you have so many options to choose from to get you back to balanced living. Until next time, be well. And remember, if you want a great life, you need to ask great questions. Be courageous. Ask for what you need. With love, Kyle and Candace. Our website is womentalkingfrankly.com, where you can find all of our episodes, check out the show notes for resources, articles, and remedies, and where you can also feel free to email us with any questions, a hormone story, anything you'd like us to share with our listeners. Women Talking Frankly, WTF, is produced by Dan Rigger of Medicine Whistle Studios in his lovely Southeast Portland, Oregon studio. We want to thank our webmaster and dear friend, Deb Hollister of Pure and Simple Graphic Design. We also want to give a shout out to all of our family, friends, and patients for all of their support and encouragement to start this podcast. We are your hosts, Kyle McAvoy and Candace Birch.